Hello and welcome to Laid Back Lush. I'm Michael. I'm Gabe. And today we are going to be doing some miscellaneous wine tips and tricks. We're separating this into two separate episodes. We wanted to kind of give you some thoughts about wine when you're out and about, and then some thoughts about wine when you're in for the night or you're going to a party or what have you. Yeah, we, uh, we're thinking, you know, we've covered a lot so far, but there's just some things that either didn't fit into the theme of an episode or that maybe we touched on very briefly but didn't ever get a chance to elaborate on. So we just wanted to do a couple of our shorter episodes and bring that to you guys and yeah, let's get into it. Essentially, we had gone over how you can increase the the astuteness of your palate just by allowing yourself to really enjoy that sensory geography of uh, of your taste and of your smell. And we also mentioned the fact that you can find a lot of really great stuff around that kind of $15 to $20 yeah. price point. But what we hadn't gone into yet was how that price point is actually generated. Mm-hmm. So when you're out and about, uh, you'll notice that there are many different types of wines at many different types of price points. So with price points, we are looking at a lot of different stuff that goes into this. This is yeah. a multi-layered thing that is going to sum up into what is eventually your cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's get into that. Yes, let's do that. So kind of at the base level for what is your primary driving force for your price point is going to be your production yeah so if you remember back in the i believe it was the was it the climate episode whichever episode we talked about uh, machine harvesting versus hand harvesting obviously the size of your winery is going to influence your final cost if you have more people on staff you have more people to pay Mm mm-hmm and machines don't know the difference between ripe and not ripe grapes. Yes. Uh, so so that's a thing that, that can impact quality between the two of those. But then are you paying people to sort? No, that's another thing. Yeah. Also, something that will drive up the price of any aged wine that was aged in the winery is how long was this wine kept back? If you're aging in oak barrels, you are not selling that product. And so just basic economics will tell you you're going to have to charge more for that product for the time that you were not making money on it to begin with. Precisely. So that's kind of just an overview. Obviously, there's a lot of um, nitty gritty stuff in that, but we don't want to get too into that in this episode. We want to keep it light. But that's kind of an overview of some things in the production that will be influencing the final price of that bottle. Precisely. And I mean, barrels especially can be considered one of those big things because of the the fact that a, a single barrel can cost upwards of $600 and that's yeah. kind of on the low yeah. end of how much those things can cost and there are wineries that buy dozens of new barrels every single year yeah so that that gives you any <laughs> indicator there yeah oh actually something else under production cheap production is also going to influence factors so if you have grapes from high yielding vineyards but maybe not particularly high quality vineyards Mm -hmm. reverse osmosis to really to you know get a more consistent product additives to correct for colors and flavors and things like that that will make your production cheaper yeah and this can literally go from things as basic as color to literally dumping in tannins in mm-hmm. order to make it seem as though there's an actual tannin structure in a wine that probably isn't even primarily a tannin 
type of wine. Yeah. It's it's because they'll use a lot of different types of grapes that have a higher yield mm-hmm. with a lower quality that have more sugar in them in order to just maximize their volume. Yeah. And this is really gonna be your your stuff that's in that five to ten dollar range. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. But that is why there is going to be kind of that first huge wine quality jump between mm-hmm. there because you're not going to really see as many uh as many additives being put in there you're still going to see sulfates as, mm-hmm. of course because that's a preservative yeah um but you're not going to see as much like oak powder or wood chips or mm-hmm. anything like or that staves yeah yeah it's it's going to be a higher quality simply because it's a more i would say traditionally done it's all of course done with with modern technology but more traditionally handled stuff where the flavors imparted are not just there because somebody figured out what yeah you know, it's not a science simulate. experiment yeah it's not yeah. just a simulation yeah you know if you if you don't want to live in a simulation then don't buy below 10 <laughs> getting into simulation theory on the wine and spirits podcast Absolutely. let's let's go let's do this <laughs> um so <laughs> sorry i just like get a flash of somebody having a, a 25 dollar cabernet sauvignon for the first time and they've only had like two buck chuck or something and they wake up in the pod that neo woke up in yeah no and it's just like what why does my tongue hurt you've never used it before (laughs) (laughs) agent smith well i I won't call any brands up but he comes out with a bottle of a a certain kind of dessert i'll say that (laughs) Mm, 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 mm. yes indeed so moving on uh, next up we have our packaging yes so packaging cork bottle label your what you're shipping it in also mm-hmm. will will play into that so not all wine bottles are made the same i'm sure if you are a listener of this podcast you have probably bought a couple of bottles of wine at least in your life and if you have bought a couple of bottles in your life you've probably noticed that a lot of wine bottles are shaped slightly different there's different thickness of glass between bottles the wine industry is actually constantly trying to come up with better and better designs for bottles and corks in particular um, and your label, if you're paying for like an artist or something mm-hmm. to do your label rather than, you know, recycling the same label year to year. But I, I've known some very small producers will even they'll have just a standard label and then they'll write in any necessary information. So like yeah. the vintage and the alcohol percentage, because that obviously will vary year by year, depending on how your grapes grow. And those labels can actually get expensive. For a good design, you're looking at between $2,500 and $3,000 per design mm-hmm. per year if you're changing it every year. Yeah. That's, you know, for a smaller producer, that's it's kind of exorbitant. Yeah. So that's kind of your, your packaging end. And uh, obviously, the higher quality materials you're using the more your final yeah. bottle is going to have to cost. Exactly. Especially if you have a, a bottle of wine that is below $10 and you can tell that they spent a lot of money on the label, just just be aware of where that money is not going. Yeah. Might have some faulty corks in there. Yeah. Very porous, not very densely packed. Yeah. There's there's a lot that can go wrong with that sort of thing. And again, like you have your, your uh, higher quality stuff and they're just trying to communicate the value of their wine, but they are still passing along the packaging. This now costs somebody five hundred dollars for mm-hmm. no reason. Just for unnecessary materials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I understand. I mean, but it's if a luxury you... price point. It's you know what you're paying for. Yeah, it. I mean, if you want to, if you want to turn your wine bottle into a Fort Knox project, then sure. <laughs> I'm actually gonna just go ahead and combine the next two because they kind of go hand in hand. Transportation mm-hmm. of your wine and marketing of your wine. Those are just those are two business decisions, obviously. Yeah. And in America, it's on. It's needlessly complex. Yeah. 
even just getting it in the country can be needlessly complex if you're importing. But yeah, so obviously heavier marketing and transportation costs are going to drive up the final price of your bottles. So here's where the more subjective side of the industry Mm -hmm. rears its head is your reputation will really drive a lot of what your wine costs. This can kind of be broken down by the region that you're in, and it can be broken down by the individual producers within a region. Bordeaux is, you know, a good example. The left bank is definitely the more desired. That's where all the first growth houses are, chateaus. So they are, by nature of just being a more reputable region, they are able to charge more for their wines in general. Same thing with Chateauneuf du Pop. And there's a couple of regions around Chateauneuf du Pop that cannot charge the same price point because they just don't have the reputation even though they make wines that quality wise are on par yeah with you'll get some pop. similar notes a mm-hmm. lot of it is very similar soil but it just doesn't have the and same history the same grapes are being grown in yeah. these regions as well so yes your your reputation as a region will influence that also your reputation as a producer so if you are a very highly esteemed winery again going back to bordeaux your first growth wineries they legally are the best wines in bordeaux your your first growths are going to be very expensive (laughs) that plays very heavily into what you are allowed to charge for your wine based off of what people are willing as with any market uh, at the end of the day the consumer is kind of going to be able to a large degree determine what price you are allowed to sell your product at or else you will not be selling your product right exactly and also under the price where you are buying it and what i mean by this is are you buying it at a grocery store are you buying it at a specialty shop are you buying it at a restaurant all of that will affect the price that you are paying for your bottle you'll never guess which one is the most expensive (laughs) which industry makes most of its profit off of alcohol sales yeah there's a reason why i don't like actually buying wine out and about when you're talking about wine at a restaurant, they need to recoup the cost of the bottle with mm-hmm. the first or second glass. When I was doing research, most glasses, I think on average at a restaurant, are about a third of the price of the whole bottle. So you are paying for way more from just purely um, divvying up the ounces in the bottle. You are exactly. paying way more than what you would be otherwise under different conditions yeah if you are going to buy wine while you're out my recommendation is is first of all know what you're looking for know what you're going to be pairing it with but the main thing is that if you're going to do it buy the bottle you're still going to be likely paying for twice the cost but at least that's not five times the cost yeah which is essentially what you're you're looking at anytime that you buy just a single glass of wine you're going to be paying for the entire bottle for a portion that is a fifth of the bottle Mm -hmm. in in most cases in other cases it could be as low as a third that's why i know my personal recommendation is go to the wine shop Mm -hmm. or go to an actual winery or a specialty wine shop where where it's kind of a combination of the two so yeah uh finding a good wine shop I usually do that from word of mouth or yeah. um, just going on Google Maps and seeing who's highly rated. Or if, yeah. you're, if you're in a community where a wine shop has been around for a long time, that's normally a good indicator that they know what they're doing. Yeah, especially if there's a, a long history of it. I know that in our immediate area, there's Once Upon a Vine. Um, there's also Barrel uh, Thief. Barrel Thief. 
another thing is though is that wine shops are getting more and more rare mm-hmm. more craft beer shops are are kind of being the thing that's promoted and the thing that people are going after um but you can find a good selection find somebody who knows what they're talking about yeah so if you're at one of these wine shops or you decide to take the trip out to a winery or if you get invited to an industry event or if you're in the industry or starting out in the industry let's talk about the tasting etiquette at these places yes um and before we get into that just a couple of uh, maybe primers for you of things that we've said and haven't really elaborated on so primary secondary tertiary these are very important terms for any tasting i mean they're important for your wine knowledge just in general but I don't think we've really elaborated on them, at least to my memory. Maybe we went over them like the first episode or something. But when people say primary, secondary, tertiary, what do they mean? They mean with primary, these are your fruit flavors. These are your mineral flavors, your floral flavors. Primary is basically what is in the grape itself mm-hmm. before it goes into the winery. So whatever the natural grape character is that is in that wine is going to be your primary If you go to your secondary classification, that is what happens in the winery, Mm -hmm. let's say. So what happens as a result of the wine's production? So we've talked about wines that are aged on the lees Mm -hmm. and developing, you know, buttery or biscuity or bready notes. Oak flavors are secondary characteristics. They're part of that winemaking process. That's that category. And then we move on to tertiary, which is essentially aging characteristics Mm -hmm. so for all wines typically that means that your fruit will go from fresh to more dried characteristics it'll mean the development of more earthy flavors particularly in red wines even petrol like Mm -hmm. flavors yeah um, and that that tends to uh, manifest more in in white wines than than red wines it certainly can in red wines as well though so that's your primary secondary tertiary classifications Swirling, I'm sure you've seen people swirl. If you don't know why people swirl, it exposes more of the wine to oxygen and just helps the wine open up. Yeah. And, and express itself better. That's another thing. So we had talked before, uh, before the episode about whether or not a wine was tight. We're going to get more into that in our next episode when we're talking about uh, some at-home things that you can mm-hmm. do in order to really get the most value out of your wine including just that basic principle of exposing mm-hmm. the wine to oxygen that you'll see in yeah. the swirling. That also increases the amount of parts per million of the wine in the glass. If it's properly tapered, then it ends up welling in the glass so that when you put your nose inside, you get that nice concentration that really allows yeah. you to observe and pick apart those those notes. If you remember from our first episode, if you're a newer listener, maybe you haven't listened to it, but the taper of your glass is extremely important yeah. to actually being able to smell the wine properly. There's still research and development being done on the proper glass shape. So, When you go to one of these functions, though, what do you like to do in preparation for this? Well, you don't do what I am very guilty of doing. And I, I would say this is maybe one of the primary ones is do not wear fragrance cologne perfume body sprays don't have just finished washing your dog either 
I had that I had that happen once at a tasting where somebody <laughs> walked in and I was just like they smell like a wet dog. Oh no. And I I just you know, I just mentioned dogs to see if I would uh-huh. get anything out of it and they're like, "Oh yeah, I love my, you know, dog whatever and just finished washing them before I came." I'm like, "Oh my god." You don't say. <laughs> you don't say cuz everybody else can smell it. I'll just tell them it's bad prosciutto or something. I don't know. Oh, that's that's really unfortunate. Yeah, so don't just don't wear it um yeah. again i i am guilty of doing this every once he's in a while he's guilty right now yeah um he i brought over a lovely chilean cabernet sauvignon <laughs> but as soon as i opened the door <laughs> there it was i uh i am a frag head as we call ourselves i really oh, enjoy wow. uh fragrances i am wearing tyrannosaurus rex from zoologist perfumes right now and it's a screecher you know oh, it's aggressive you know someone's in the room i love it um but it uh it he has, has announced himself it's it's very uh smoky incense heavy and it kind of smells like blood a little bit because of the rose oxide that's in it but uh yeah it's not a bad aroma but i have to but, tease gabe but it's strong <laughs> but it is strong and it's not the type of thing that you would want to wear no. at, especially oh gosh, an industry yeah. event if yeah. you showed up this would be overpowering you yeah. you someone might actually like pull you aside and and talk to you about give this. you give you a free yeah. t-shirt <laughs> um but aside aside from that though there are just some very i would say common sense things this is more i guess for a winery setting but it does still apply to whoever is serving you at any wine tasting you're at be courteous to service workers mm-hmm. please like <laughs> it, it seems so obvious but so many people just don't do it in particular don't go around asking for discounts and I, so, like, for example, I feel comfortable asking for a discount because I am industry. A lot of particularly wineries around here offered industry discounts to you if you are working in the industry, obviously. They exist. But, you know, if you're not working in the industry, don't ask for, for discounts. And it sounds very, like, duh, but it happens more than you might think. Especially if it's a smaller winery. Yeah. I mean, these guys... They're not making a huge profit in the first place. So mm-hmm. the fact that they're doing a tasting is more than likely an expense. Yeah. I would also say don't go asking for wines that are not on the tasting menu. Mm-hmm. So if you're at a tasting, I have been I cannot tell you how many tastings at this point were, you know, we were talking about this earlier on the sheet was like six and I ended up tasting 10 wines. That will happen where sometimes you will end up trying a couple more wines than are on the tasting. But don't because I have seen this happen where people will be like. Oh, do you have do you have anything that's not on the tasting menu? It's not necessarily like a faux pas or anything, but it is just it, it seems a little um I would say entitled. Yeah. Don't don't <laughs> just feel be humble in, about it. Yeah. Don't feel entitled for things that might be granted. Mm-hmm. And certainly don't feel offended if you're not offered something that's not on the menu. You exactly, really yeah. don't know what's it, it, going on behind a, the counter. It's a menu for a reason. That yeah. is that is what they are advertising that they are going to be giving you. Yeah. And especially if you showed up without the intention of purchasing anything mm-hmm. after the tasting, then yeah. it, it really isn't your place to mm-hmm. to start making oh. demands. That's actually a really good thing to bring up. Um, so most people, and I agree with this, would say purchasing a bottle is not compulsory no, at a tasting. It's not. If you just don't like the wine at a certain place, you don't have to buy it. Don't feel bad about not buying it. Most places will charge for a tasting and not a ton. Um, normally I've seen like five to ten dollars for a tasting. So like they've already, they, they have factored whatever you paid in mm-hmm. to their business model to begin with. So. They're not really losing money on you if you don't buy. Don't don't worry about that. 
it's, yeah. it's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, don't don't feel compulsory about it. It's just again, be humble about it. Be mm. humble in your expectations. Be grateful for the opportunity. And please be nice to tasting staff. And please be nice to tasting staff. Also, by God, do not get drunk. Yes. <laughs> do not get drunk. Yeah. You're going to act more foolishly than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, People it, are going to know that you're drunk. Yeah. You're not actually going to be able to appreciate what it is that you're tasting. Use the event as a way of developing yourself because alcohol really does affect your ability to to observe, to smell, to taste. It really does affect those things when you are inebriated even slightly. Yeah. So it's important that you keep yourself fresh. If they have a spittoon, please use it. Mm-hmm. It's not that you can't take a sip. Yeah, it's, um, it's not rude to spit. And if you want to move on from wine to wine and then go back and drink whatever you had at the end, mm-hmm. all I'm saying is give yourself the opportunity to yeah. do that. Because otherwise you're going to have wasted an opportunity that could have really grown your wine knowledge and given you a bit more confidence in yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So we decided for this week that we were going to go to Early Mountain. I was floored. I was happy. (laughs) What did you think, Gabe? Well, I've been to Early Mountain. uh, This is probably like my sixth or seventh time going. Yeah, and you had just gone for your birthday, which I was Uh almost, I was almost like, should I suggest Early Mountain for (laughs) this? And then. Like when I said early mountain, you were like, I was thinking early mountain. I was yeah. just like, oh, thank God. And that also means it's probably really good. Well, I've been wanting to take you there for a while now. So. Oh, yeah. The place is beautiful. Actually, just around the corner from Ray- uh, Raynard Florence Vineyards. Mm-hmm. The place is gorgeous. All very rustic, but elegant looking. Yeah. Beautiful location. Yeah. Beautiful location. I couldn't be more pleased. That was just gorgeous. So aside from... You know, the location and the building itself. What did you think of what we had? Oh, no, that's all I cared about. Okay, so the wine was terrible. Yeah, the wine was awful. Uh-huh. Um, uh, just no. not <laughs> not even worth remarking on in any way. Well, let me let me actually get to my uh, wine notes on the subject. So uh, I will say this isn't a con or a negative, but just know if you are going to early mountain kind of as a fyi early mountain is a bit pricier than the average virginia winery i would say again i'm not saying that as a negative just something to be aware of if you go between the two of us we did spend over a hundred dollars yeah yeah it was around like what one 140 something like that yeah in total. D- that being said though we had food we had two glasses between the two of us or and no, a flight. Uh, each of us had two glasses and a flight yes and a flight i would not call that unreasonable particularly for the quality of wine that you're getting but just be aware it might not be as um affordable as other places yeah might be so both of us ended up actually getting the same um, wine lineup. They had two uh, wine lineups that were from them, and then mm-hmm. they had one that had kind of just other things from the region. That's actually something really cool about Early Mountain is they do offer wines from other Virginia producers and wineries. And I love that about them because uh, it serves to help promote the region, not just their own yeah. wines. Yeah, I mean, well, and the, the other thing is, is the Virginia wine industry is young, and so it's really good to actually have a little bit of integration between vineyards where they're recommending each other because we need it, actually. Yeah. The lineup that we got was composed of a rosé, chardonnay, 
something called the Foothills, which was a, a mixture of a bunch of different reds, primarily Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Cab Franc. Oh, and Petit Verdot. And then, uh, oh gosh, we had the Foothills. I didn't write down the fourth one. I like the Novum. The Novum. Yes. And then, of course, afterwards, I ended up going with Gabe's recommendation, which was <laughs> Quaker Run Cab Franc, which... We'll save that one for last, because I think that one deserves fireworks. the most attention. Fireworks. <laughs> um, so the rosé was uh, a 2020 rosé, so very young. Notes of white peach, strawberry, nectarine, mm-hmm. cherry. And the thing that was really great, we were sitting there and we're going through, and, and Gabe goes, it's bruised apple. And I'm like... <laughs> That is such an oddly specific and yet accurate description of this wine. It It's like apple that you have sliced and left on the counter for just a couple of minutes, yeah. started to brown, and that's what it smelled like. I, I got that from the person that I took all of my WSET courses from, so I will not claim ownership of that term, but she really nailed it on the head. The next one up was a Chardonnay. This one was very interesting, and it's one of the rare occurrences where I knew that it was a quality wine. Mm-hmm. It was not to my taste preference. Yeah, and I actually wanted to leave this because Michael had talked and we were at the winery like, I don't know if I want to mention it because I didn't particularly like it. And I was like, no, I think it's important, though, that we show people, whoever might come across this, that it is possible to recognize that a wine is a quality wine, but you don't particularly like it. It was not my favorite either. But again, like you said, it, it was a quality wine. Um, mm-hmm. the, the reason for me, and I'll let you give your reason. I'm pretty sure this was aged in American oak. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a very particular dill flavor, which tends to be kind of an indicator of American oak. I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast or not. I don't really go for oak Chardonnays to begin with. So it's just kind of, it's for me, it's more of a stylistic thing. I already am not a big fan of it. So... That was my issue with it. Yeah. But again, the the body, the acidity, the structure of the wine were all on point. And obviously, the winemaker had a very clear idea of what they wanted in the wine. It just wasn't what my palate tends to enjoy. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. And that was essentially what it was for me. I, I got so much of that dill aroma uh, over the top. And it was like that with the peach. It just it was not a combination that I particularly cared for. It just was not to style preference that i liked Mm -hmm. even though it is a fantastic wine yeah next up was the foothills now this i loved a lot of stuff that you would really find typical of these uh different types of grapes they also kind of seasoned it with some petite uh mansang and some tanat gave it a lot of this amazing kind of spanish cedar a lot of earth a lot of wet wood granulated spices maybe even peppercorn Mm -hmm. um and the thing that came through to me is just how well integrated that was with kind of yeah. like a cherry pie. It was it was a very good, I would say, more early drinking style of red. I would not call it like a table red by any means. No, um, no. It was it was definitely a, a dry wine. It had some tertiary and secondary character but on it. A little bit of earthiness. Bright, bright fruit. But mainly the fruit, yes. Yeah. The, the, it was very fruit forward. Yeah. The Novum, by contrast, was a lot darker. It's a, Yeah, that's a, that is a dark wine. That <laughs> was like dried dusty blackberries like Mm -hmm. it was it was absolutely delicious Mm -hmm. very very rich but very balanced with with the level of tannins that were in it i think we both mentioned the fact that we would have loved to seen that see that a a little bit more aged Mm -hmm. because give it a year it has so much potential as a wine already amazing but i think that it could benefit from that aging Mm -hmm. then we 
both got glasses yes. after that. You got the Quaker run first, but again, well, let's say that for last because mm-hmm. I ended up that was my second glass. Yeah. So your second glass was the Swath, right? Yes. So that was an interesting wine for yes, you. It was. It, it was the first time that I had ever had something that had undergone uh, carbonic mm-hmm. fermentation, which was essentially it's it's a type of fermentation that happens within the grape in an all carbon dioxide environment. Creates a very interesting type of wine. I more than likely have had it before, but I didn't. If you've um, had Beaujolais Nouveau, you've yeah. had it. So Beaujolais Nouveau is something that I've had. It is a very early drinking style. It is very bright. A lot of uh of not ripe cherry at all. This is this is like bright right up the vine. Yeah. Very uh I want to say acidic kind of uh hit the tongue. Not sharp, but the more more there. It's it's not carbonic your wines are known smooth. for having a very um high tone element yeah. to them, particularly that bubble gum that I mentioned while we were. Oh there. my gosh, it yeah. was straight marzipan. This was one of those things where where I knew it was good again, but it was it was not to my taste preference. Yeah. Very interesting though, and I could see it being so incredible for so many other things. I got a Verdicchio, but it was not from Early Mountain. It mm-hmm. was actually from Barbersville, which is a very, very, very widely known winery in the state. If you This was aware. such an interesting wine. Yeah, so Verdicchio is a Italian white grape from northern Italy. I don't remember the exact region off the top of my head, and I should because I was in my level three, but, uh, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> um, I want to say it's Alto Adige, but I-, I could be wrong on that. I know it's northern Italy. But uh, what I like about Verdicchio is it's um, herbaceous, but not like don't think Sauvignon Blanc herbaceous. Think much more restrained herbs, almost like like tarragon, rosemary, that kind of mm-hmm. herbal aroma. Also some nuttiness in it um obviously you know um citrus and a, a little bit of of apple i think say and, even some fresh grass yeah some fresh grass but just a very wonderful easy drinking well for me easy drinking but i tend yeah. to like more herbaceous white oh, wines was in general yeah it was delightful he let me have a couple of sips of it and i would even say that it had like a little element of some green papaya mm-hmm. on it and yeah it was just lovely yeah, so that that was I really enjoyed that Verdicchio. Shout out to Barbersville for growing it. I didn't even know it could grow in our state, but apparently it can, or at least they can make it. So, next up though, the Pièce de Résistance. Yes, the Quaker Run Cab Franc. Oh my god, <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, I tried this when I went for my birthday trip, mm-hmm. and I got a bottle. <laughs> So Quaker Run is the name of a specific vineyard that Early Mountain owns. If you go to their winery, they actually have a little diagram on a chalkboard at their tasting bar where you can see their different sites that they pick from. Their Quaker Run vineyard has a south-facing aspect. I don't remember what the altitude on it was, but uh, it gets very good sunlight. It's kind of ideal growing conditions for what you're going to find in Virginia. Obviously, it produces a very good wine. What did what, what what did you think? I thought that it was possibly one of the most well-integrated wines that I've had. It was a mixture of black near like near falling apart ripeness fruits and a type of earthiness that again I can only describe as being so perfectly integrated. It's like the pulp of ripening blackberry and plum mm-hmm. mixed in with wet damp woodsy earth. Yeah. It has, um, I would almost say, potting soil 
Yeah. Because, you know, there's there's that it's dust. It's rich soil. Yes. It, there's that dusty soil, but then there's that rich gardening soil where it's just you smell it and you can almost smell the nutrients in it. It's yeah. like that. It's like petrichor on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean. It benches 380. <laughs> cannot recommend that one more. As mm-hmm. soon as I have a chance, I am going back for the exclusive purpose of drinking that wine. Yeah. That one, uh. It's one of the pricier bottles on their tasting menu, and I think it's one of the pricier glasses as well. Yeah. But I think that wine in particular is kind of where I would like to see, and this is getting more, I guess, um, macro outside of just early mountain, but that's where I want to see Virginia really start to go. You know, we've tried a lot of doing Bordeaux blends in particular and Bordeaux styles of wine. With some good yeah, definitely, stuff. definitely. I mean, Raynard Florence does a Bordeaux blend primarily for most of their reds that they sell. and They're brilliant. And they're really good. They are very good. Um, but I've always kind of wanted Virginia to have its own identity. And I think wines like that really showcase what Virginia itself, again, site, I think, is the main factor there. Not everybody's going to be able to grow that wine because mm-hmm. not everybody has that vineyard. But... That, I think, is is kind of like a, a good example of what I think Virginia, with a unique identity, is capable of producing. Yeah. And I would love to see more producers kind of go in that route. This is how Cad Franc expresses the terroir of that particular property. Mm-hmm. And I think with that style, or rather that idea of finding which grape best expresses Virginia terroir, that's really where we're going to see industry growth. Mm -hmm. That's really where we're going to find recognition. Yeah. Uh, So please follow us on our various accounts. We have Instagram. We have Twitter, at at LaidBackLush. That was creepy. That was very creepy. (laughs) We won't edit it out, though. It'll just haunt your dreams until you follow us. Okay. um, But yeah, don't threaten the listeners. No, 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 no. I'm inviting them with aggressive (laughs) force. (laughs) It's just a, it's just a friendly invitation done with (laughs) less friendly verbiage. Um, No, but please go ahead, give us a follow. Uh, If you like what we have, share it with a friend. Please let us know what you would like to hear us talking about. We love doing this. We want it to be a two way conversation with Mm -hmm. with our community. And for those of you who are our international viewers, we love you. Thank you so much. MVPs. MVP. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, no that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Because yeah. it was surprising and delightful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm Michael. I'm Gabe. And this is Laid Back Lush. Cheers. Cheers, guys.